All right, welcome back. Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Brandon Robertson, Jazz Boeing, the next level. What's up? How y'all doing this evening, this afternoon? <laughs> we don't know when it is, uh, and particularly with your crazy schedule, it could be morning, it could be the middle of the night. We don't know. <laughs> and we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. All right, all good, man. We're recording these sessions for the purposes of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Education and Outreach. We're going to get right into it with Brandon today on this topic, but be sure to check out the resources in the studio where you can see all of the past Young Lions sessions, including a bunch from Brandon, a bunch of really good ones. Where do I begin as a professional musician? Simple tools during a performance, preparation for performance, how to develop melodic bass lines, tempos and styles, how to develop endurance during a performance, thinking like a horn player from a bass perspective, how to capture a big sound, and we just keep building. Brandon's a regular part of these sessions now, and we really appreciate that. He's an Emmy-nominated music director, professional upright electric bassist, composer, music educator originally from Tampa. He's director of jazz studies down at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Florida, and he was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Documentary for Educational Collegiate Programs featuring the Florida Gulf Coast University Jazz Ensemble, a prominent band leader. He has taken his band on multiple national tours, headlining at some of the top jazz venues in the country, and to add to his impressive resume, he's performed with a lot of notable acts, including the world-famous Count Basie Orchestra led by director Scotty Barnhart and many many, many others. Check out his first debut album called Based on a True Story. That's Bass, B-A-S-S apostrophe D on a True Story. That came out in the fall of 2019 and reached all the way to number 16 on the iTunes Top 200. Man, oh man, Brandon Robertson, welcome back. The stage is all yours, my friend. Thank you, Steve, for that glorious introduction as usual. You know, you, you did it this time. You told me last session you was going to try to get me to blush. <laughs> you, it worked this time. So I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Lee, and everyone from the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association. Thank you all for having me. Um, so for today's topic, this was a topic that I hadn't seen covered yet, and I thought it would be an interesting one because I have a lot of I have a lot of young students who always ask me about arcoing on uh, when it comes to jazz. It's something that's not ventured a lot into because as I tell a lot of my students, you know, that what separates good bass players from great bass players is those who are proficient in both electric and upright. And I've noticed that guys who are proficient in both areas work a whole lot more than those who are just, only good at one or the other. One of the features that I, I find very intriguing as I started to get more involved with my bass development and my knowledge of the upright bass and just its idioms in, in each within several different genres was that a lot of bass players don't arco when, when it comes to jazz. And I found that it, it is extremely difficult to do that only because you have to have not only excellent technique in your left hand but you also have to have great a great deal of technique 
in your right hand when you're holding the bow. And so one of my examples here, and I'm going to grab my bow real quick. So one of the, one of the things that I, I noticed too, when I notice a jazz, a bass player who solos with the bow is their bows are usually shorter. Now this is a three quarters French bow. Okay. A French bass bow. Now, the most bass players that I've noticed that who take solos Arco, their bow is probably almost half the size or a little bit, a little bit bigger than, or a little bit smaller than this particular bow. This is actually a pretty small bow. This is a half size bow. So it's, it's for a three quarter bass, but it's light. It's durable. It, it, and as you can see, it has a little dip right here. That dip it's very important. It's useful because when you start digging into the string, it creates a lot, it grounds it. It keeps it a lot more grounded. Now, one of my all-time favorite bass players, and I've said this on a lot of my sessions here, is Christian McBride. What I love about Christian McBride is the clarity that he gets out of the bass when he arcos. I mean, it's very clear to the point where you're like, He's how how is he not playing any wrong notes with with the way he's bowing? Because he's sometimes some of the stuff he plays is so fast, and I'm like, man, this is crazy, like how he's doing it. So I started studying like different bass players who used who who are known throughout history to Arco. Probably the most famous prominent person that I guess young players would associate jazz Arco with is Paul Chambers. But I'm gonna go further back back i'm actually going to start with major holly and slam stewart now if you're not familiar with these two gentlemen these two gentlemen were not only huge pioneers in the bass world but particularly they were one of the first if not the first to invent and create the style of singing while playing so major holly and slam stewart were were notably famous for being able to sing while accompanying themselves on bass. And they made their whole career based off of that. They're probably one of the only few bassists throughout history that did a whole entire career based off of singing and playing at the same time. There's a particular record that I actually referenced, which you can find later on um, located in the studio session on clearwaterjazz.com and it'll be listed under session material. But there's a video, there's an album that, they, that the two of them came out, a duo album with Dick Hyman on piano and Oliver Jackson, which was called uh, Shut Your Mouth, okay? And particularly the song that I want you guys to go and listen to on that album is I Love You by Cole Porter. And I Love You, the very beginning of the song, you hear Slam Stewart singing the melody as he's playing it. He's arcoing the melody, but he's singing. He's he's accompanying himself by singing the melody in thirds. So he's harmonizing a third a oct a, a, a third above the melody notes while he's while he's playing it. And that was something I wanted to introduce to you all as this is the first form of introduction when you hear jazz bowing. And then 
as in the 50s, when it started to roll around a little more in the 50s, now you come across Paul Chambers. Now, Paul Chambers is the giant. He's like the, he's like, you know, you hear the old children's story, Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah, he's the giant when it comes to this jazz bowling because the way his style of art going is so unique and it cannot be replicated. If you heard him play jazz arco, you would know it's Paul Chambers playing. And one of the one of the characteristics that Paul did a lot was he used gut strings. So he was one of the few few bases throughout history that actually played on on an entire set of gut strings. All the famous recordings from relaxing to cooking to working to steaming to kind of blue to uh milestones all those famous recordings that miles did in the 50s paul chambers was playing on gut strings but there's one particular jazz solo uh uh arco solo that paul chambers took and it wasn't with the miles david miles davis quartet quintet it was with john coltrane's group particularly on the song moments notice off of blue train off of, off of john coltrane's record blue train and Paul Chambers, if you listen to that solo, it is so rhythmically complex. But when I transcribed the solo, because I actually wanted to learn it, he's playing a lot of diatonic notes. And what I mean by diatonic, I mean notes that are found within that chord. Not, not passing tones, which would be like the second or the fourth or the sixth. We're talking one, three, five, seven. Just the triadic intervals of that chord and that's primarily what he what he censored his solo around and so when you hear him play it rhythmically sounds very complex but harmonically he's not playing a lot of notes like he's not playing a lot of of, of a lot of structure so there's two types of styles that you can play also there's another recording that I that I, I added into my session material, and this is by another bassist, Red Mitchell. Now, Red Mitchell, everybody, let me tell you, he gets slept on a lot. Red Mitchell, uh, he's he's one of those he's one of those bass players that kind of came out of the school of Major Holly and, and Slam Stewart, but his thing was more beboppy. So he would sing, but he was singing a bebop style, which was hip. So when he was solo, it sounded very bluesy and bebop-ish, you know. And he actually, there was an interview that I saw online on YouTube that he actually made reference to Major Holly and said that Major Holly was a big influence on him and was the reason why he wanted, he chose to start learning how to sing and play at the same time because no one was really doing that. And even to this day, a lot of people don't do that. Um, Esperanza Spalding, you know, is, is probably the more modern day contemporary bassist who has popularized singing and, and playing again. But there are there are a dozens amount of bass players that are doing it. She's just on a on a higher platform. But there's a video that I also added in that session too of Christian McBride and Esperanza Spalding doing a duo together of Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Lady. And what's hip about that is that Esperanza sings the melody as Christian is accompanying her arcoing. Then he takes an arco solo while Esperanza is harmonizing. She's, she's singing, she's humming 
the chord changes under him while he's arcing. And I wanted to I wanted to demonstrate those those various uh, examples because with jazz arco, there also comes proficiency with your time. And I'm gonna give an example of, of what I what I mean by that. So give me a second here. Let me. Okay. All right. Okay. Can you guys hear me? All right. So everybody, so this is going to be an example. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to play a melody by Horace Silver called Peace. And what I'm going to demonstrate is just the clarity that, that, that you would need as a, as a jazz bassist. One of the things that you want to make sure, make sure that your bow particularly is not tight all the way. You don't want to choke the hair. And what we mean by that is if you put the bow on a string, and I know this is kind of difficult to see through a video, but if you were, you see, if I press down like this, my bow can kind of, my bow is very flexible. If I were to tighten the hairs completely, like now my, my hair, my hairs on my bow is completely tight. I can't turn the, uh, the knob anymore. Now I can't press down. I can't, I can't, I can't press down at all. Right. So you get that kind of sound. So you want to make sure that you have a very uh, loose, but not super restricted bow. Okay. Secondly, you want to make sure that you have rosin on your bow. It's very important that you rosin your bow. If you don't rosin your bow, people, it's going to sound terrible, terrible. Okay. You're going to get this. It's almost like if you were to step on a cat's tail and you hear the cat screech, that's what it sounds like when you don't have rosin on your bow. So everyone, please, that's watching this, make sure you rosin your bow. Okay. I'm going to play this melody for you. Now, what I want you to listen for is the clarity. Now, I'm going to make mistakes purposely just so I can demonstrate what happens when you don't have good technique with the bow. All right? So this is Horace Silver's, uh, Horace Silver's uh, piece. So this is what happens if you have bad bow technique. That sounds terrible. I promise I don't play like that. However, the reason why it sounds like that is because there's a couple of things. If you're a young player and you don't know how to balance the weight in your right hand, then what you what you could do to work on that is play a lot of long tones, okay? And when if you're learning a jazz melody, learn the melody arco first. Don't learn it pizzicato. And learn it very slowly, okay? So this will be the example of that. So I would play the I would play the entire first half of that tune out of time. I just want to get the intervals and the notes in tune together. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what I did there is I'm trying to get as clear of a sound as possible. So when you're doing, when you're playing with the bow, the bow will expose your intonation. That's why a lot of bass players don't play with the bow because it exposes their intonation. So you don't want to, you, you don't want to, create a situation for yourself where a you're playing out of tune a lot and so if you're going to do any kind of jazz bowing you have to be very relaxed and use a shorter bow so if i were to play the melody in time and correctly i'm going to use a much shorter bow and i'm also going to be a lot more expressive and you have to be expressive when you use the bow playing jazz if not it just sounds boring and plain okay played very light i was very expressive on the higher notes and what i mean by the higher notes there's 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 um what we like to call musical center points and melodies usually those center points is where you want to give it the most expression or dynamics it, it gives the melody it makes the melody stick out a lot more okay also one thing that i that i did and i'm going to demonstrate it here so hopefully you guys can hear me um I tilt my bow back a lot. And the reason the reason why I tilt my bow back is because it keeps the bow parallel to the floor. So in the screen here, I, I, I like to describe the bow as two things. You like scrubbing toilets or you die. Now you're going to say, what? And this is exactly what I tell all my bass students. When you're driving on the highway, you're parallel to the opposite side of the, of, the, of the highway, right? So if you were to veer off to your left, you're going to hit the median or another car. So you're going to die. If you are like someone like I was growing up, you had to do chores. So one thing that you probably don't like to do is when your parents say, you know, go clean the bathroom. You know, go clean that toilet. I'm not scrubbing no toilets. Well, guess what? If you tilt your bow down to the floor and you play like this, you're scrubbing a toilet. So the example that I use to my bass students who like to play jazz arco, I say, don't scrub the toilet and don't die. Stay parallel, clean, and safe. When you're parallel, you're clean and safe. When you go to the right, you're scrub. When you go to the left, you die. Middle, clean and safe, parallel to the floor. Right? So if I were to do like an F blues or something. So if I had a... Now, what I did there 
Also, what I wanted to show us that you don't have to use a whole lot of bow. I see a lot of young players do this. That's not going to work. Shorter bows and shorter ideas. See, when you play pizzicato, I can do all that stuff. do that all pizzicato it doesn't sound like that when you arco it's the total opposite so usually what i tell my bass students and this is good advice for any young player that wants to learn how to play arco jazz is play shorter fragments and much shorter ideas because you got to think you're you're simultaneously doing two things at the same time you're physically moving your left hand to get the note but then you're bowing you're trying to get the bowing of that note at the same speed that your left hand is moving. So as I stated in my previous sessions, the left always has to know what the right is doing and the right has to always know what the left is doing, right? So an example, if I played a shorter figure, if I was doing an key of F, so if I did something like, Now that's very simple, super simple. But if I was playing that for an audience, it gives the audience enough time to digest what it is that I just did, right? And when you're playing with the bow, the key, the key factor is to making sure that you are not only clear and accurate, but you're also breathing and you're taking your time. You're not, and you you can't, you cannot play tense. Whenever you bow, you cannot play tense. So if you can see kind of like my, my muscle here kind of poking out, that's, that's come, that comes from you gripping the bow too hard. And when you do that, you actually, you're actually going to choke your lines that you're trying to play. So if I were to play stiff like that, it'll sound like this. Can't even I can't even get my notes clear because I'm so stiff. So you have to make sure you're relaxed, okay? All right. Okay, so you want to make sure that you're not only relaxed, but you want to also not dig so hard. That's the one thing that I I, I actually learned from listening to Paul Chambers arco solos and even in even sam jones sam jones has a few good uh arco solos out there and what i've what i learned from listening to those guys is they play very light like they don't put a lot of weight on the string so they can get that clarity also they also think you also have to kind of think like a horn player when you're using the bow because now that you have a bow you can actually tie a whole a whole lot more notes in your phrases versus if you were to pizzicato because when you pizzicato on a bass you have to do a pull off or a hammer on to kind of get that that emulate that sound of that you're trying to connect some notes together versus playing them separately by by pitching but when you play with arco 
when you when you play with the bow, now you're able to slur or tie a lot more notes under your hand. So if you hear really good bass jazz solos, which were the ones that I referred to you in the on the studio session or for the session materials, those recordings that the examples I gave were very clear and precise bass uh, solos that not only you can hear you can hear clearly, but their phrasing you could you it almost sounds like it's a sax or a trumpet it sounds like a horn player that's that's playing you know when they phrase so those are some of the key things that i would suggest that you would look over so make sure that you work on long tones a lot of long term open strings nothing nothing crazy you want to make sure that when you're holding the when you're holding the bow that you tilt it just slightly towards you not all the way where it's like the wood part is touching the string, but you want the bow to tilt just slightly so the hair that's on the string, it sits flat. So when you tilt your bow, your hair actually sits like this. It'll sit completely flat. So that way it's parallel. Like I said before, you veer off to the right, you're scrubbing the toilet. You go to the left, it's lights out for you. Stay in the middle, you're clean and safe. Nothing to worry about, okay? And so... Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my, um, my take on, on, on the history of jazz. Oh, what there's, there is one more thing. There's one more thing. When you, when you are, when you are trying to learn or transcribe an Arco solo, my advice is to learn it pizzicato first. And I say that because you can get a lot more clarity in terms of what the notes are that they're playing when you pitch it because you can physically pluck the note versus when you're bowing it. There's a lot of ambiguous uh, sounds that could be arise. So, for instance, if you hit a note, but you're out, but your fingers might be like a, you might be slightly sharp or flat. Well, if you're playing it with the bow, that note is getting that note is being bent bit so you have no idea where the center of that actual note is but if you pizzicato it you will be able to hear it clear because because of the reaction time that it comes back to you okay so that would be my only other advice about transcribing solos with arco right and uh i think that, that concludes my portion yeah yes Oh, man. All in a day's work. Great job again, Brandon. Thanks for being oh, with us. Um, thank I you. To, uh, remind people to check those upcoming sessions because you've got a few of them on, on the books with us coming up. Uh, we've got one about understanding the sound of jazz. We mm -hmm. have one that you're going to be doing with Tyler Wortman on playing duo performances, which yeah. is going to be really great. We love Tyler. It's going to be fun to have the two of you together in a session. Um, yeah, I'm excited for that one. Creating new music composition and charts. I think that's a unique one to sort of add to the variety of things we're presenting here. I'm looking forward to that one in particular. And then lastly, how to accompany a vocalist, which is uh, we're trying to do more with vocalists, as you know, and I think that's going to be a really good one, too. Yeah. Can I can I chime in on like really quickly on that particular session? course so I, I i decided that i wanted to um do a session that catered to vocalists because i actually ask that question a lot you know is you know you work you work with a lot of vocalists how do you 
how, how do you accompany them? Like, how is it that you've done shows with just bass and, and voice? Like, how does that work? I did a, um, I did a show with the Juno winner, Lila Bialy, um, who she won a Juno award last year for uh, best vocal jazz album. She, she beat Diane crawl, who is Canada's like queen, <laughs> which was, which I was like, wow, that's, you know, you made it if you could take out Diane crawl. But, um, she, uh, I did a, I did a whole three day concert with her just bass and voice. And we did over, I, yeah, I think it was over 50 standards. I did, uh, I did a, a quite a few, quite a few standards. Some that I had never heard of before. Some that are obviously the the popular choices. But I wanted to do this session because after I did that show with her, she actually said something to me very interesting. She said, "You know, I don't know a lot of instrumentalists who really understand." how to play behind a singer. And I feel that you've done a great job of trying to learn how to accompany a singer because as instrumentalists, we get in our own way of our ego. Our ego gets in our own way because, you know, if we, if we, if we sound good, we sound good. We're going to make it known. We want people to know that we're going to throw it in your face is we're going to make it very obvious. Yes. I am the best one here. However, though, when you start to accompany someone else, especially a singer, that role changes. You are now the accompanist, which means it ain't about you. So that's why I wanted to address that because even for young pianists who are looking to get out there and gig and most of your gigging in the earlier stages, if you plan a company with singers, you're going to work, especially if it's just duo, right? But you need to understand your role. Not just as a, not me as a rhythm section player. This goes for horn players. Anybody that is a, that becomes the accompanying role for the vocalist. And then also I'm going to address to the vocalist. How do you not upset your instrumentalist players? Because there are things that vocalists need to understand and know how we think in order to not not come across like you don't know what you're doing because that's what it seems to be a lot of the times with instrumentalists this vocalist don't know what she's doing or he's doing or they don't know what he's doing and then that may not actually be the case it could just be a miscommunication error because somebody doesn't know how to convey that type of structure so that's what i want to address with that particular session i just wanted to make that known you know while that's out there yeah, no, that's going to be a really good one. Um, and uh, so people can check out all these upcoming sessions at clearwaterjazz.com. Uh, some really great musicians um, in the next couple of weeks, as usual. We've got Jeremy Carter coming up again Ooh. with us. Of course, Tyler, we had Alejandro Arenas with us earliest, earlier today. Jeff yeah. Rupert Jeff Rupert follows this session today. And this Friday, we've got a conversation with Wycliffe Gordon and Frank Williams. Ooh. Uh, it's going to be good. So we got, I'm going to put a shout out to all of our, our extended family of musicians. Hopefully everyone can join up in that room on that zoom call. Cause that is going to be great. And, um, all of, like, like Brandon said, all of these sessions are archived now. So please take advantage of that. You can watch them in the studio, which is brought to you by blue water wealth management at steward partners, or you can listen to them. It, and you can listen to them 
by uh, visiting the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions podcast wherever you stream podcasts. It's available on most major platforms. And what's really cool is we launched the last few weeks a uh, history of jazz archive to complement mm. our history of jazz program in the schools. And it's called the Stop Time Series with Frank Williams. And in Frank's one-of-a-kind style, he walks you through a uh, a history of jazz from uh, the Civil War era, really, and all the way through modern day. It's an ambitious outline of videos, and it's also available on the podcast. There's about maybe close to 40 of them up on the site already. So um, check that out. It's a really, really fun way to learn about the history of this great music. And we're really inspired because as schools try to figure out their new normal right now with band programs. Um, These resources have been received really well, and that makes us really proud to be part of. So hopefully we're putting a lot of good content out there for students and really music lovers of all ages to enjoy. Mm -hmm. So with that said, Brandon, um, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks for being part of this. Oh, thank you guys for having me, man. And also to the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association, please thank you guys for having me as well. Lee, always great to see you as well, buddy. And um, Gary, thank you for joining in with us. And, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, you guys doing this. Uh, I, I, I've talked to several um, or a few of the band teachers that are in my area and I've, and I've actually got, introduced them to you guys as resources and they've been using them. Dave, one of them actually emailed me back and was like, thank you so much for sending me this. Cause I had no idea what I'm going to do with my class. <laughs> so I said, yeah. So Steve is, you guys are doing the right thing and I'm so honored to be part of this. So thank y'all for continuing to have me (laughs) cool man i love to hear that thank you for sharing all these things with everybody in your neck of the woods we hope to spread the word and uh keep building this this wonderful treasure so for everybody listening on behalf of clearwater jazz holiday foundation and all our partners um, stay safe out there be well and keep playing we'll see you soon all right guys take care have a good one Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the education and outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.